Welcome to episode 93 of On the Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On the Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now, here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Have you ever been voluntold to do a task that ends up being an amazing opportunity? That happened to Susan, one of my clients. See, I had encouraged her to get involved with her industry's association, not to just show up to a few events over the year, but to sign up for one of their committees so she could start making some real connections in her field. Well, she ended up on the education committee and one of their tasks is to coordinate who's picking up the speaker each month from the airport. The pickup tends to be during rush hour and no one was eager to offer. Susan was also reluctant to take the time away from her work, but hearing my voice in her head, she said she'd do the pickup. She was so glad that she did. She told me it was a true privilege to have 35 minutes of uninterrupted time with a leading professional in her field. She had done her research ahead of time and knew enough about the speaker to engage in a thoughtful conversation. The result? She got advice from the speaker that she was able to incorporate into her next proposal and is what made her proposal stand out and her company get selected. Are you ready for a mindset shift so you can take advantage of all the opportunities and possibilities for connection in the world around you? Do you want to be ready to take action? I encourage you to check out the MORE program for entrepreneurial women. More money, more opportunity, more referrals, and more engagement. Over a 90-day period, I offer a mix of one-on-one coaching, master classes filled with content, and masterminds where you're on the hot seat. These are intimate groups with just you and three other entrepreneurial women. Find out the details at robbysamuels.com forward slash more and then schedule a chat so we can see if it would be a good fit for you and your goals. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest is a leading forecaster of business, politics, and culture in our fast-moving digital age. She's an entrepreneur, author, and consultant to Fortune 1000 companies. Her accomplishments include founding the award-winning social impact agency, Women Online, and the influencer network, The Mission List. She was also founding political director of blogher.com and has written for numerous publications, including Harvard Business Review, The Wall Street Journal, and The New York Times. She has shared her expertise as a lecturer at the Yale Women's Campaign School, the Harvard Kennedy School, and the World Economic Forum's Young Global Leaders Forum. She's the host of the Forbes podcast, Hiding in the Bathroom, which is the topic of her new book, Hiding in the Bathroom, an introvert's roadmap to getting out there when you'd rather stay home. Please join me in welcoming Maura Ahrens-Mealy. Hey, Robbie. Hey, Maura. Thanks so much for joining me from your home in Boston. I'm so thrilled that you're able to be here because um, I was saying right before this that when Dora gave me uh, your book, I was like, this is fantastic. I'm so glad <laughs> that there's someone sharing this information. I work with a lot of women who sort of are on the more shy or more introverted side of the spectrums. And um, you really give a voice to that. And, and it's a, it is a real roadmap to how to get out there. So I, before we kind of dive into that, I wanted to jump into this idea of leadership because for me, the networking has to be within a context. And, and obviously to reach some level of success in your career and in your industry, you have to be somewhat good at relationship building. So I'm curious, what does leadership mean to you? And well, when did you realize you had the skills to lead? You know, um, I think that leadership 
is very complicated, <clears throat> probably for everyone, but as a woman, for me, in a in first in um, digital marketing and startups during the first dot com boom, and then in politics, I never thought I was a leader. And that was unfortunate because I was thrust into leadership positions starting from when I was 23 years old. And so I had the very kind of soul crushing experience of having to manage people when I was frankly a baby who knew nothing about leadership. Mm. And um, I think that many people who sort of get thrust into these positions early can relate when you're sort of sitting in a meeting and you're expected to be in charge and you keep looking like, wait, where, where's the boss? <laughs> and you're like, oh shit, I'm the boss. <laughs> so that was my experience. And then one day, I think the moment I realized that I was a good leader was ironically when I quit my last corporate job when I was 29 years old. And I, I didn't quit under very good circumstances. Um, I worked at a large company, multinational, not, you know, it wasn't really a multinational, but it had offices all over the globe. And um, the New York office was trying to get me fired and it was a mess, but um, I had built a very wonderful team in my office at Washington, D.C. And the last day, um, a man who I had hired came up to me and he was about five years older than me. And he said, you're the best boss I've ever had. Mm. And I thought, I'm, am I your boss? Like, again, like, I, I'm not your boss. Don't talk. And then I realized, you know what? Not only am I your boss, I may be leaving because I cry in the bathroom every day, but I have built this incredible team that doesn't need me. Mm. And sure enough, I left and that division is now probably 200 people. When I left, it was like 11. Um, and it's one of the sort of cornerstones of the company. And I realized then and in thinking about it over the years, my style of leadership, which is a very valid style of leadership, is not being needed. <laughs> <laughs> how, would, um, how would you just really describe that then? Like, because you clearly were there for your team. They, absolutely. Knew, they knew you. They appreciated you. What, is it, what does it mean to you that you aren't needed? How would you? I, it's more? almost, I mean, you're a parent. So I think that parenting is a great analogy for this. Um, I have a client who uses the metaphor of lighthouse parenting, that this is the opposite of being a helicopter parent, right? Where you're hovering over every mood, move. A lighthouse is a beacon when waters get rough. The ships know you're there and you will guide them to safety, mm. but you're not piloting the ship. And one of the things that I'm proudest about my leadership over the years and now very intentionally at my current company, Women Online, is that I feel my role as a leader is to create a framework and a structure and a culture that empowers people to do what they know how to do, right? but yeah. always be there for them if they need me. I love this because micromanaging is the thing that I think anyone who's experienced having a micromanager hates it. But those same people have fallen into the trap of being a micromanager themselves because they don't have other models to look at. So this lighthouse metaphor is a really apt one, both as a parent and as a person who's well, a, a group of people. Yeah, I have to give props to Dr. Ken Ginsberg. Um, it's at, at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. It's his metaphor, but it's an incredible metaphor mm -hmm. for life. And, um, you know, the funny thing is coming back to my book is, you know, I write a lot about anxiety in the book. And I think that a lot of micromanaging comes out of anxiety. 
And I am an extremely anxious person. So in my head, I'm micromanaging every minute sometimes. <laughs> in my head, I'm lying awake at night thinking, oh my God, we're all going to broke, go broke. This is a disaster. But the people that I have been lucky enough to work with over the years have shown me that I have to trust them because frankly, I'm too anxious not to trust them. I'd be a wreck. Mm -hmm. And so I guess for those of you out there who feel like your style of checking in all the time and micromanaging is actually maybe if you look in the mirror because you feel really anxious, think about what would happen if you just said, I'm leaving this with other people. That's the scariest thought for many people. Like mm -hmm. that, that's terrifying. Uh, terif I mean, like you say it so simply, but um, I think that there's the, even the art of delegation, even when you're saying it in a confident space where people do feel like they build their team up, the art of delegation of knowing when and how much. Um, this is great. Um, adaptive supervision is something I learned. And basically you move people through a process or they, their phases of, of supervision. And it's up to you to adapt to what the people you're working with need. Mm -hmm. So if you have someone who's highly skilled and you're able to like let them run with it, when there's something new that you're giving them, well, now you have to get back in it with them and help them get comfortable. And you can't just be like, okay, here's something else that you have no idea how to do. <laughs> but isn't that parenting? Like your kid yeah. can't walk. So you're like helping them deal with crawling. And then all right. of a sudden they're walking. I mean, not, need to, to, let go. Yeah. Right, not to belabor that. But you know, the other thing that I think it comes from, and this was a, a lesson I, I learned very early on too, was I always hired people who were better than me because I was so insecure and I felt I'm too young to be a leader. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I faked it. So I hired people who I felt like were better than me. And in retrospect, again, this has been such a gift. If you hire people who you feel are better than you or as good as you, then you can't help but let them mm. do their thing. And so I think so much of leadership you know, ugh, and I think of our horrible president who says things like I alone can fix it, you know, is the totemic alpha male leader. And there is so much scholarship debunking that. And luckily, things have evolved. But I think in our hearts, many of us still look to this sort of totemic leader who they alone can fix it. And of course, that's not how life works. Mm -hmm. Well, so now you've been able to really recreate an entire world to, to be in. So you left your job a while ago. You've been working from home for a while. You've built all these online spaces. Um, now you have a book and a podcast to talk about this, the work that you do. What are you finding most rewarding about the work you do now? I feel very blessed. <laughs> I love my life. Um, because I every day I wake up and I think I never want to have to commute, sit in traffic, show up and sit under fluorescent lights for 10 hours a day just because that's what I'm supposed to do. Like, honestly, that is my, that keeps me hungry, even though I love my work. But even if I didn't love my work, I was never cut out to work in an office for someone else. Mm. I would be happy actually working for someone else, but not in a large office and their rules. And so the thing that I'm proudest of and that I write about a ton in the book, and I call myself a, a hermit entrepreneur is that, you know, I have very real financial demands. I have three kids. Um, I have figured out, for today at least, a way to pay the bills and work in my pajamas. And that is like, that's very satisfying for a hermit. And um, I, 
I also still get out there. Like I have an exciting life. I work with global clients. I've worked on four presidential races. Like I get out there when I need to, but I have found the fit that's right for me. And so many of us never do. Tell me a little bit about that transition. I mean, it sounds like, well, did you go right into this from that last job where you left at 29? I did not. I went to graduate school. Ah. So I, at 29, was done with corporate America uh, and and politics because I had worked in both. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go be a social worker. I wanted to become a clinical social worker and work with companies to retain women leaders. (laughs) Uh Ha ha. Um, Because I had quit many jobs as a budding young woman leader. So I went to social work school at night at Catholic University in Washington, D.C., and I had to pay the bills. So I just started freelancing. I basically quit my job and then called up all the clients I had worked for and my former bosses and said, hey, do you need some digital freelance marketing work? Like, I can do that. And when I started doing that, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. I was doing the exact same work that I had always done, but from my home, on my laptop, at my own speed. I didn't have to see people. You know, I'm an extreme introvert, uh, which we can talk about introversion in a little bit, but I'm, I'm not shy at all. I'm not a wallflower. I'm really actually kind of loud, but I have um, a lot of needs for quiet and downtime and alone time. So the ability to earn good money and only see people when I wanted was amazing. Mm. And so actually, I never finished my social work degree. I um, I actually, I ended up getting a master of public administration, which was awesome, kept freelancing. And then my freelancing evolved into my company. It was completely organic because I'm far too anxious to ever have said, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Like if I had said, I'm going to start a company, I would have had a panic attack and never done it. But it just really nicely evolved into a company. And it sounds like your focus never really shifted. The fact that you went into, you know, your MSW program, you wanted to work to help retain women leaders. And then you ended up launching a social impact agency, Women Online. (laughs) Clearly, you have a vision. It was just a question of like how you were going to approach it. I literally sometimes say I do the same work that I did when I was 22 years old and working at the digital startup iVillage, which was the biggest site for women. I mean, I've never, that's the funny thing is I do this, I've done the same work now for 20 years. I just do it very differently today. What was really challenging then in that shift? Like, it sounds like a piece of it might have been a psychology of it, and you didn't want to get too ahead of yourself because that would have caused a panic attack. But um, what were some of the other things you had to sort of overcome as it started to build and grow way beyond what you maybe initially thought it was sort of a little side hustle while you're going to school? Like, totally. became a thing. Like, what was that like for you when suddenly you had a business? Well, I talk about this a lot and I've written about this ad nauseum because I think it's a real problem. I call it entrepreneurship porn and achievement porn. You know, when I, once my business started going and I was like, you know, out there on the scene, right, trying to get business development. So I did some speaking. I spoke at Chambers of Commerce. I spoke at a lot of conferences, you know, in the Boston area and DC and just trying to get my name out there as a social impact consultant who specialized in mobilizing women people would call me an entrepreneur. And it sounds really sexy. You're like, ooh, I'm an entrepreneur. You feel like all of a sudden you should be scaling. You should be taking investment. Like I went to a couple pitch competitions. I sort of drank the Kool-Aid. And 
it's extremely seductive. And I drank the Kool-Aid and started pitching and started thinking, I need to grow, I need to scale. But of course, that's not who I am. That would have made me miserable. That amount of risk would have been toxic for me. And it took many years for me to understand that I could be a really happy and successful small business owner who didn't scale, who stayed small, who stayed really intentional, and that was okay. Because when you start a business that is interesting to people, everyone in your life wants you to grow. Your accountant wants you to grow, your partner wants you to grow, your team wants you to grow, your hairdresser wants you to grow, right? (laughs) And it's really hard to say no. Yeah, this is actually a book um, that I have been telling everyone about since I had uh, Mike um, Mikhailowicz on my show, his book, Profit First, Mm. um, because it really helps you sort of temper that, that itch to grow. Because the the old rules uh, have always been income minus expenses equals profit. But when you're an entrepreneur, all the money goes back into the business. So if you have 10 grand, you spend 10 grand. But his his solution was income minus profit equals expenses. Because if you have 10 grand and you take a thousand out and tuck it away, you'll live within nine. Like you'll you'll scale more proportionally. You know, and I think we, you know, end up taking on too many. Um, extra expenses, all kind. I mean, now it's funny. I don't have a, a vast team. Um, I have some amazing VAs and, and editors that help me with the show. But I think my other big expenses are all the digital tools that you buy. <laughs> when you're it like, really adds up. I'm like, <laughs> when I stopped and looked at it, it's like, wow, this is thousands of dollars of tools. Am I using all these tools? But when you first get started, you're like, oh, I have to have this and I have to have that. So I can hear you on the idea of this this impetus to to keep driving forward. And it's great that you, you sort of name it. And I love that you talk about it with people because a lot of people starting out hear that call and it's enticing and scary. Well, and how could you not? I mean, look, I did some research. Entrepreneurship education at our colleges and universities has increased 400% in the past 20 years. When I was in college, there was no such thing. And I'm coming up on my 20th, God, oh my gosh, 20th anniversary when I graduated this spring. Their entrepreneurship, and please no one yell at me for saying this, was like for, and I was a jock, was for jocks. It was an easy class, honestly. There was Now it's lauded. It's the hardest class to get in to. The the cult of entrepreneurship, especially for smart young people, is insane. So of course you want to start something and you want to scale because that's all you ever see. That's what success looks like, right? Well, that's our, yeah. So many people um, that I've spoken to got into this work because they had to. Like, mm-hmm. they, And a lot of people, it, it was 2008, 2009. Like, think about how yeah. many people like well, that's when I graduated, actually. That's why I started- <laughs> Yes, of course. Right. Like, that's, that's the moment that everyone was like, well, got to try something different. And then some people saw a lot of success. So there's been, um, yes, a, a big, uh, it's sort of a boom and bust moment. Like, everyone's trying to get in on, on some ground level of it. I mean, but it's, it's also really exciting, the tools that are available to make it possible. But I love the idea of that it still has to be grounded in something and, and who it- you relate to and who you are. Well, you know, so first of all, I think the tools piece is really important. You know, there's a theory called the blue ocean theory in business, in business teaching these days, and it's really valuable. 
and I think your listeners, you know, go check out Blue Ocean Theory. But in a nutshell, it is what happens when you identify a valuable open space. I call it your niche that you have expertise in, that you feel like you can conquer what my friend Nilifer Merchant calls your onlyness. Mm. And not only that, there are internet tools and low barrier of entry to make it happen. That's when business magic happens, especially for people like me who are anxious, introverted, and don't want to be, you know, TechCrunch disrupt is not like their end all be all. <laughs> like <laughs> if you as an entrepreneur or someone with a good idea can find your blue ocean, like where is the space that I, I am the one, right? Like I'm contradicting myself here, like the one, but I have great expertise. I know this space and I can do it cheaply, easily, whether by using Squarespace or starting a podcast or whatever, to get this going without a huge capital investment, that is an amazing way to work on your own terms and be a successful entrepreneur without a lot of the bells and whistles. So, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of entrepreneurship. I'm just not a huge fan of this sort of like one size fits all, like crush it all the time, grow, 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 bro-tastic, you know, stereotype that we've created around entrepreneurship. Which is why I'm so thrilled to have you on this show. It kind of, <laughs> kind of balances what I hear often uh, touted. So I, I'm curious, you know, this idea of um, striving for success, how you define it, right? There's, there's always a fear of not getting it right, of being wrong or even failing, making mistakes. What is some of the, what are some of the things you're not good at? And then how did you deal with that part of it? <laughs> I'm not good at so much. Um, but you know what I'm good at? Knowing what I'm not good at. I am the best hirer I know. And um, I'm a really great talent scout. And so not just for myself, but for other people. Like I love to find people jobs. I love to give people ideas of folks they could reach out to and hire. So that's what I'm good at. What I'm not good at is... Um, managing my anxiety sometimes, uh, getting overly grounded and getting grounded at all, frankly, in details. I'm not a detail person. And um, sometimes I don't pay enough attention. Uh, and my, my team will tell you that. Like Sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, whatever, let's just do it. And they're like, you didn't read the brief? You know, so <laughs> I do that. Um, I'm, but, but I almost think it doesn't matter because, um, there are so many talented people in this world. And one of the things that I think is really important if you're listening and you're thinking, like, I have this idea, I really want to do something on my own. You may have expertise to find that blue ocean, but you can't get there alone. And so you need to think about a team and this may not even be the team of people that you hire full time. This is your kitchen cabinet. My friend Christine calls them your secret squirrels. These are the people who have access to the expertise you don't, who have been there before, who will take your phone call when you're in crisis, who know the best graphic designer. Think about team in a really holistic way because you won't feel alone, even if you're a solo entrepreneur. It's, it's amazing. And that is the wonderful thing about online community and internet connectivity. That's why like, no matter how gross Twitter gets, I'm always a believer in online community because for people like me, it is the difference. 
I love that you brought this in uh, back to relationship building because um, and my good friend Dory Clark talks about this as the personal board of directors. Totally. Uh, you know, or I love Kitchen Cabinet. I love, what was the secret squirrels? Secret, secret squirrels. <laughs> secret squirrel society. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's true that there are more people than you often realize who are really in your corner. And it's a matter of nurturing those relationships so that you're not only going to them in crisis, but you're you're checking with them on a regular basis and they're guiding you and you might be reciprocating. Sometimes you are, sometimes they're just way ahead of you. And so they're really just telling you what's ahead. Uh, well, so the lighthouse piece. <laughs> totally. And Dory Clark is the master. I mean, you and I both know her. She's, she is so generous. You think, how is someone who's so busy, so generous? And that's the magic. You know, um, in the book, I have a whole section on this. And my husband, Nick O'Mealy, who is also just an incredibly generous super connector, taught me something called the 10 touches. And so for me, who's not like, I don't like to call people on the phone. I'm, I'm socially anxious. So I hate networking. I don't go out to lunch. But I force myself. I make 10 touches a week. And I make it in a way that makes me comfortable. So I like to find people jobs. I love to email people. I'm so thrilled to give you a recommendation on LinkedIn. I send people presents. So, and I see people every once in a while when, in, <laughs> when I feel up to it. I think that, that it's about making it manageable for you. You hear network and you think, oh my gosh, what does that even mean? It's so overwhelming and amorphous. You hear build relationships oh my gosh, what? Think about, like literally draw the last 10 years of your career. The people who gave you a job, gave you a promotion, introduced you to your next boss, introduced you to the client who's become your biggest client. Like who are those people in your life? Dory connecting you to me and me. Mm -hmm. I mean, Dory's connected me probably to 20 people Mm -hmm. when I was promoting my book. She's a super connector. Mm -hmm. Once you identify those people and you incorporate them and build a powerful and beautiful relationship with them, you don't have to network as much. You don't have to feel overwhelmed by this like bizarre amorphous concept that we call networking. Yeah. And also what I love that you're, you're underscoring here is that so many of the people that we want to have in our network, we already have in our network. It's another another one of these like 80-20 rules, like 80% of the people you need to know you've already met. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You just need to like recultivate those connections, reinvigorate, like rekindle, whatever the word might be. And then, you know, be thoughtful and strategic about how you find that other 20% who maybe you need to still connect with. Um, And what I, I I work with a lot of um, women uh, entrepreneurs who are trying to like expand, usually into a new space. And so they'll tell me, well, I don't know, like I'm now moving into this totally new area and uh, while I have expertise over here, I don't know anyone over there. And I'm like, of course, you know, someone over there. That's right. (laughs) You know, but they're like, no, no, it's an entirely different space. I'm like, you're right. But like (laughs) you still, so it's just like walking them through who knows the people that will make the introduction or who already is in that space. Because part of it is if you like someone you worked with 10 years ago um, and you both, you know, really enjoyed each other's company and you went your separate paths, you don't know where they ended up, right? Like they don't know where you ended up either, but that's the kind of person you could look up and be like, oh, wow, look at that. They're actually kind of in a tangent space that would really be helpful. Um, I enjoyed them. Why don't I reach out now? And, and I love this little 10 touch piece. It's, it's so quantifiable. I think for me, um, 
I had to really think about how I am in the world because I'm, I'm an outgoing extrovert. It sounds like you're more of an outgoing extreme introvert. Mm-hmm. I'm an outgoing extreme extrovert. So, <laughs> oh, dear uh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. But I, so I, I see it as a privilege. Like being out in the world is one of the easiest ways of being seen, right? Like, you know, if you're able to be out in the world all the time and it's not utterly exhausting, that's a privilege. Um, but what I also see is like, I could be out in the world in all the wrong places, not doing any of the intentional follow-up, not reconnecting. I mean, there's lots of ways you have to really build in systems so that you are actually building a connection and not just collecting business cards. And for you, you were like, I'm never going to do that. <laughs> I'm never going to go out and just like randomly show up at all these places and collect never. business cards. Right. So you, you actually were coming at it thoughtfully from the beginning where I think most people finally move to what you've discussed only after years of banging their head on the things that don't work. Well, and I meet them all hiding in the bathroom. I mean, like, I, you know, it's, it, it's such a common feeling because for many of us, networking really sucks. And the other thing is that why would you ever not be intentional with your time? It's the most valuable resource you have. So I think that whatever, even if you love it, being intentional, like another, another trick I've gleaned over the years is understanding the events and almost the levers that move my business forward and always saying yes to them. Like it's not even, you know, so I was, I was invited by YouTube yesterday or the day before to come speak at their headquarters um, on behalf of a client, you know. It, it incorporates everything I'm scared of. I, I have flying anxiety, so I have to fly to San Francisco. Like all these things, you know, I don't want to do. But oh my gosh, if YouTube invites me, there's not a moment in which I'm going to say no, right? If the there are three conferences every year that I have over the past ten years probably gotten twenty percent of my new business from, of course they are marked on my calendar, January first mm-hmm. for the coming year, and I'm going, and I'm going to make the most out of them. That means that I can say no to random things or I can say no to things that I've been to and haven't proven out their value. So I just think applying intentionality to your time is so important. And once you start seeing the patterns, it, you, you're really smarter. It's like you're a smarter consumer you know, of your own time. Of your own time, uh, the yeah, <laughs> of your own time. Because whether you're doing it or not, you're going to use like you're using your time. I actually think about this in the context of going to big conferences. Actually, my book was about strategic, effective, and inclusive networking at conferences, and yes. I I chose that hook because it's a place that people go without a lot of thought necessarily. They put they put a lot of time, money, and energy, and other resources into being there. But it's but they don't have that intentionality. And I always say, like, if you're gonna leave your house and all that's entailed in leaving your house, right? Getting dressed, showering, probably getting all done up, like <laughs> flying somewhere, you know, travel expenses, et cetera. Why not make sure that the time is there? Like your intention is to actually meet people because you could do so much from home in your pajamas these days, right? You like you can literally run a business, but if you're gonna leave the house then the meeting people has to be part of the equation that makes it kind of extra special and worth it. But I then see people have this really closed body language. You know, they like hide in the bathroom. I mean, literally like you're saying, but it's like you got all the way there. Even if you only spent 20 minutes doing the things you were there to do, you know, even if you met one person each day of the conference that was like, the kind of people, you've done your homework. I think so much of it is preparation. It sounds like you would never walk in to these three conferences without having really thought out why you were going because it takes so much energy 
and just it, it kicks up all your anxieties to go. So you're like, I want to make sure it's worth it. But 20% of your business is worth it. Right, like ten percent of your. I mean, that's right. You know, I mean, but, but like, it, yeah, I'll do it then. <laughs> exactly, right. I'll, I'll, I'm absolutely willing to withstand, you know, my social anxiety for that. And 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 the thing is, I think, um, you know, I come from politics, and I don't know if you ever watched Veep, but um, mm-hmm. the great show with Julia Louis Dreyfus. But Dreyfus, but she she makes fun of it. Everyone in politics has a body man, a body woman who sort of briefs them before they walk into a room, whether they're going to a donut shop or they're going to a five thousand dollar plate fundraiser. And you know that's extreme, but I also think it's really important to not just read the room, but know who's in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, you can do your homework. I, I have a I have a wonderful friend, my friend Jane, who we we end up at a lot of the same conferences, and we'll always get together before you know the first day, and she'll be like, "Okay, what's your goal? Why are you here?" And I then, love her. Oh, right. Everyone, and then I'll be like, Jane, <laughs> she's amazing. And she, and then I'm like, "This is my goal," and she's like, "Okay, here's my goal." And then throughout the conference, you know, we'll see each other across the room. We'll be like, "High five, You know, again, like don't feel slimy about this stuff. No one goes to these conferences for total like fun. This is about work. And that's a beautiful thing. Like I, I believe in my work. I believe my work advances women. I give women jobs. I work on great things. I'm not embarrassed to network on behalf of it. So I think part of it, and I don't know, you know, I'd be interested to hear if there's a gender piece on this. Like a lot of women feel like, this is slimy. I shouldn't ask. I can't be so naked as to, you know, introduce myself and, or they, or they overcompensate and they're like overly sort of salesy and slick. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is just like owning that you're doing good work and you deserve to be in the room and we're all in the room for a reason. I actually think the socialization piece you just brought up, there is a piece to that. I would think and, and that's the, you know, it sort of goes back to, you know, you, you tell a man he should run for president and he says, what a good idea. And you tell a woman, hey, you should run for school committee. And you have to tell her 17 times to run yeah. for school committee. I think that the idea of believing your own value or your own worth, like you, you feel so strongly that you bring value into this world. And that's the reason you're able to get up and leave and, and go be part of all these spaces, despite all the other things that might be holding you back. I think a lot of women get themselves there to these spaces, but they don't truly have that belief. Because if you really believe like you had something to, uh, to offer, right? Instead of needing something, I think the whole transactional mm-hmm. networking is what gets everyone, ugh, you know? But I, uh, interesting study that was done around, um, see Harvard was part of it in Northwestern. This idea of networking makes people feel dirty. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the people who don't feel that way are senior executives. Senior executives of all genders go to these kind of networking spaces to offer mm-hmm. because they don't need anything. Nope. <laughs> they don't have a scarcity model, right? Not at all. They're like, I have, I can make connections. I can make introductions. I have suggestions and resources and I can just share my experience. So I just think if we all put on that mindset, even when we're looking for a job, we still have things to offer. And I, I like that you're, you're framing that. And I think everyone needs a Jane who says, what's your goal? Because too often- Why are you here? Right. We I mean, need to ask ourselves that question. <laughs> well, and, and here's the other thing. And there's two, two incredible sort of books or leaders to check out. The first is Wayne Baker and his seminal work. My favorite is Achieving Success Through Social Capital massively easy to read, but so valuable. And then Stu Friedman, who's a professor at Wharton, 
um, who's a pioneer in so many um, things about work life and inclusive leadership. And, and, and of course, his book, Total Leadership is a classic. But, you know, he is also a big proponent of social capital through networking. We build community and bonds and reciprocity through networking. Like that's how we build relationships. That's how I can help you find, you know, a lawyer when you need it and you can help me find whatever when I really need it. That's how we build bonds. And so I think that when you flip the script and it comes from like a lot of women I know feel like they walk into a room and they're begging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not that at all. It's you're walking into a room and you are going to become part of a web that supplies each other with resources. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a mindset shift. And so I do a, a masterminds and um, it's an over 90 days. It's amazing how the women I work with do have that shift in their mindset around what relationship building can be. And then they start seeing opportunities and connections and possibilities like every day, not just at these big events, right? But like I had a, a client who was who was at a um, food kitchen, a soup kitchen, a volunteering, and she's minding her own business because she's quiet and shy and she's chopping the onion and she's seeing the other professionals who are all volunteering. And she's looking at them thinking, what would Robbie do? What would Robbie do? Robbie would say hello. Robbie would say hello. So she did. She had engaging conversations and she already had a system in place from working with me that she knew she was going to have two either phone calls, um, you know, email, sort of those two touches, right? Like Mm -hmm. two ways every week she's going to find a way to reconnect with someone. So she ended up talking to three of them afterwards. One, she actually met in person. Um, That, first of all, like, that she wouldn't have said hello. And then she wouldn't have known what to do with it afterwards. And now she's seeing all these possibilities. And it's like, it's like a whole new worldview. It's amazing, right? Because then her goal shift, you know, it, it's like, it goes from, I don't think I know anyone in that space to, I wonder who I know in that space. Like, oh. it's well, yeah. can I push back on that for one sec, though? Because, because we hear a lot about these beautiful success stories. And we think, oh, my God. I have to do this at this one event. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves, especially overachievers, right? So that if we don't go to an event and it's not magical, we may feel that we messed up or, you know, we we have bad feelings. So I also think that it's important to take the pressure off a little bit and understand that not everything you do is going to be magical. Like, A, why wouldn't you smile and say hi? Because that's how your mother raised you and (laughs) anyone can do that. So like, absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, we've all had many wasted evenings. We've had many, I don't know about you, I've had a lot of events where I've left feeling worse about myself than when I came. That's life. And so I think that's also about understanding the long game Mm -hmm. and also knowing when to leave. (laughs) One of the best pieces of advice I got from my friend once was like, it's always okay after 30 minutes at the cocktail party to go up to your room and order room service or whatever, or Netflix. You know, like not everything's going to be, not every date is going to lead to Mr. or Ms. Right. And not every, uh, you know, putting out of your, of your energy and yourself is going to end up well either. And that's okay. You know, I hear so many young people again and, and new entrepreneurs who say, say to me, I don't have a mentor more. What am I doing wrong? Mm. And again, it's like, well, I don't have one mentor. I don't have people who call me up to check and see how I'm doing. I've had lots of moments of mentorship throughout my life. Not all of them work out, 
a lot of people never return my phone calls, take the pressure off. And I, I yeah. think I think that's okay too. I, I'm curious how this all relates to this idea of like diversifying your personal professional network. That's that's a thing I've been thinking a lot more about, particularly as I've sort of realized some of my best ideas are coming from people that don't have my shared experience mm-hmm. and that I, you know, had to sort of put myself out in some way to meet them and connect with them. Is that something you're thinking about intentionally as well? Or is it sort of happenstance that you've developed this sort of really, it sounds like you have such a, a rich and vibrant community around you. I do, but a lot of them are like me and they look like me and they are, you know, privileged white women from the suburbs. So I'm very conscious of that. Um, it's so funny you bring this up because I was just talking to my husband actually a couple of days ago and I was like, I sort of feel like I'm at a dead end in terms of business development for my business right now. Like we're in a good place, but I need a whole new, like if I were a miner, I'd need a new seam. I guess that's a metaphor. <laughs> and I don't know how to find the new seam. And in social network theory, this is called building, bridging social capital. So when you have a rich and warm and wonderful community of like-minded people, that's called bonding social capital. And it's fabulous. And it gets you through the time, the tough times. But you can't truly grow either as a person or as a business unless you have bridging social capital, unless you are reaching outside of your close network. And that happens in the normal life cycle of a business every once in a while. It happens in our personal and professional lives. So that's a question I'm wrestling with. Like, how do I find the new seam? And it's probably going to take time and take me out of my comfort zone. And um, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with it because I've been in such a rhythm for a while. And it is such an intention to make that shift if you already have a certain pattern. And if the people that you're working with, the kind of people they would refer you to wouldn't help you find that, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. it's hard because often the referrals come from the people you're working with and they, of course, are going to refer people that also have a similar background and experience. Um, I've actually, like, I like hosting dinners. That's kind of been my thing. Mm. Um, and I think it could work well for an introvert and too. I've heard really good things. Dory's an introvert and she loves this strategy. Um, <laughs> but you could co-host a dinner that also takes the pressure off and you each bring somewhere between two and like four people with you. And then you have, you know, between six and eight, six to eight to 10 people that are sitting around and you just bring interesting people. And if you have, you know, a colleague that you're really good friends with in that other sort of world, do this, do this with you. It's a nice way to kind of have a couple hours. You meet a lot of people. They find great connections. You don't have to do a lot of the connecting for them. You just kind of host the space. And I use that to sort of help me sort of kind of continuously bridge into new worlds. And then if I find something interesting there, I might host a dinner with them down the line um, and keep developing that way. It's sort of like a thoughtful, um, you don't have to do it every month to make it work. It's just like when you do it, it could have it could, it doesn't, like you said, it's not like a huge dividend. Like I immediately found like amazing business partner or something, <laughs> but it makes your name known in a new space and it helps you realize who some of the people are that you can reach out to in those other spaces. Oh, so. I love that. Well, and you know, it's funny. I have a lot of friends in politics who are doing that as a way of trying to bridge, you know, many other divides. And I think that it's just an important thing to do in life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. I love that. I, I'm I'm curious if you have ideas. Is there like an online 
version if you're feeling that, um, you know, hosting dinners feels too much for you. So this is interesting because I actually, I think that it's about cultivating um, these online communities that attract a wide variety of people. And I will say that Dory Clark has actually done this. Um, Her recognized expert uh, course has a Facebook group connected to it. And Mm. there's clearly like a a certain value that we all share, right? We all have a certain, um, we're we're motivated people, uh, but we're not motivated all trying to achieve the same exact thing. And our backgrounds vary tremendously. Our goals vary tremendously. Um, age even has been a nice variant. Um, it, it's just like finding a space that attracts people based on values uh, as opposed to other these sort of demographics. And you will probably then need to nurture, like be very present in those spaces, but also think about how you can get people to like a smaller group discussion or a one-on-one discussion off, off that Facebook community. Like, mm-hmm. you know, by maybe you know, hosting a webinar or, you know, doing just a Zoom chat with a few people, just like trying to, you know, or like, you know, phone call or something that allows some connection that goes beyond the group. But I think it's a, it's another way to kind of, kind of make that bridge um, into new spaces. So I'm, I'm in the process of doing that for my business. I'm like, you know, my, my tentacles are kind of going in different directions. I'm sort of seeing like what works, what doesn't, where does it resonate? You know, who's responding to the work that I do? Um, and this has been an interesting way to test that is to be very engaged, but you can't, I would say like limit to three groups. Mm. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> like I, I want to mention that because I've seen people be like, great, I'll go join 14 groups. And like, you cannot maintain that. No. Um, start with one or two, you know, once you've kind of made yourself known in one of them, maybe add a third because you won't have to be there all the time, you know? Um, but basically, you, you should go in and you offer support, you offer value, you offer kudos. Like when someone does something, you, you are the first to say congratulations. That's amazing. They write a book. You write a review. Like, you know, right. you just, <laughs> it's really, I, you know, it's so funny talking to you. This is nothing about this is rocket science, but so often people miss these small little things. Like you said earlier, writing a, a LinkedIn testimony. Um, I just shared one that someone wrote for me after I, I did a talk and I shared it and said, hey, do a nice thing for someone and write something like, like this is a really, it gave me such a nice boost, (laughs) you know, like do this kind of thing when you have a moment. So it's just like, that could be part of your 10 touches, right? If if, if you feel overwhelmed by it and I'm such a hypocrite because I have like a million Amazon reviews that I've, I've been meaning to write and I'm going to actually go do it because, and not only this, but um, one last thing I want to say is if you are a steward, which many introverts are, but not all, but certainly if you have anxiety, you probably are. You sit in your office and you stew, whether it's you're feeling bad about yourself, you're feeling envious, you're feeling unmotivated, whatever, you're stuck in your head, you have FOMO. There is no quicker or better cure than doing something nice for someone else. Mm. And the best way to do that without leaving your, the comfort of your home is to write something nice about someone on something they care about. So whether it's reviewing a book, whether it's LinkedIn, whatever, whether it's like podcast, right, whatever, <laughs> right. Review a podcast, five star review on iTunes. Um, seriously, because not only does, are you doing something good for that person that will make them feel good, you're getting out of your own head and you're 
you're remembering that you are part of a good community and you mean something to other people. So it's, it's such an important practice. And again, not rocket science. <laughs> not rocket science. <laughs> yeah. So if we have a chance to reconnect a year from now, which I, I hope we really do, because I'm going to be following your work. Me I want to know um, what accomplishments of yours that we will be celebrating. What are you looking forward to in the next year? Oh my goodness gracious. Um, I am really looking forward to upping my public speaking game. I um, have had a lot of ambivalence around public speaking since my book came out and I'm curing myself of it and I'm embarking on some big and scary talks in the next few weeks and I will have done like a big talk. I don't know if it's Ted, I don't know, but I, that's like where I need to go. I know in my head and it feels really scary and I don't want to do it, but I feel compelled because I want women and men to see someone up on stage who is as scared as they are. <laughs> so that's it. That's amazing. How about you? I uh, no, I'm, I want to be around to see you do that. <laughs> um, that's amazing. I, I, for me, it's, um, I'm, I'm in a, kind of a sibling space suddenly. So I have a second child, mm. two and a half months old. I'm launching a second podcast this year called Parent Founders, Parenting Inspired Entrepreneurship. Oh my gosh. I don't think I've announced on this show yet. <laughs> so you heard it here first. <laughs> um, and I'm also going to be working on um, the draft at the end of the year of my next book, which is my second book. So I'm all into siblings. So Everybody gets a second. <laughs> wow. Well, that's a lot. Congrats on everything. Yeah, it's it's uh I set big goals and then like it makes me kind of move towards them, I guess. Um and even if you fall short, I'm still way further along than I thought I'd be. Um but this has been fantastic. I want to know how can people find you and follow your work? The best way is to go to hidinginthebathroom.com. And that is uh, links up to all my websites and my newsletter, which is infrequent, but good. And um, if you sign up at hidinginthebathroom.com, you will get two fantastic PDF downloads. And Robbie, one I think I hope you'll appreciate, which is my 16-point guide to surviving a professional conference, which you can bring with you to your next event. Brilliant. I hope everyone goes check out the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Thank you so much, Mara. Thanks, Robbie. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Maura. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 93. That's also where you'll find all the links from today's episode. Are you ready for that mindset shift so you can take advantage of all the opportunities and possibilities for connection in the world around you? A few times a year, I run the MORE program for entrepreneurial women. I meet bi-weekly online with four women who want more money, opportunities, referrals, and engagement. It's a mix of mastermind hot seats and content-rich masterclasses scheduled over 90 days. Check out the details and sign up for a chat at robbysamuels.com forward slash more. The next session starts in just one month. Hopefully you'll be in the group. If you enjoyed this episode with Maura, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I would love to read your review in iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talents professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We explore their career challenges, 
work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.